The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. Well, hello there. We get ready for another weekend of fights. We're glad that you are with us here on the Big Fight Weekend preview podcast. I am the somewhat capable host. I have overcome the jet lag from being in Germany last weekend with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Buccaneers actually don't play this weekend. So I have a little bit uh, more time to pay attention to the fights, the fight news, et cetera. And look who's back here to help set me straight, as always, on what we have and what we have coming up, especially in the ring. Uh, Jaime Munguia in action this weekend. Fight card in England this weekend. Oh, and looky here, Dan Rayfield. First of all, welcome. Good to have you. Thank you. Uh, we also have an interview with Regis Progress that you did earlier, uh, and and he is getting ready to obviously – uh, fight for the WBC 140-pound crown. We're going to hear that interview coming up. So we've got a lot here on the podcast. Uh, thank you for finding us, however you've done so, whether you did so through a social media link. Uh, here's hoping as we release the podcast that when we say a social media link that it still includes Twitter. Who knows? That's been a controversy <laughs> all Thursday afternoon and Thursday night, whether Twitter's going to still exist. The good news is you and I are going to still exist because we have lives. Uh, we also still have websites. We still have other social media. Who knows if Twitter hangs around or not? But in any event, we're here nonetheless. Uh, by the way, however you found us, social media link, Dan Substack, the Fight Freaks Unite Substack, the Big Fight Weekend website. Make sure you're following or subscribing because then you get this automatically. Because, Dan, what are you going to get? If you get this oh, automatically, what are you going to get? Yeah, you get a banner. You get a bell. You get a vibration. You get a light. You get a ding. I cover all the bases. I think you covered them all. You'll get notified. But let me just say, like, I have such a tortured relationship with Twitter. Like right. on the one hand, I would be ecstatic if it didn't exist anymore. On the other hand, I'd probably be pretty depressed if it didn't exist anymore. So I'm kind of torn on the situation. Did you see the Elon Musk tweet just before we began? I did. Tonight? I did not. No, He's I did not. Keeping he a good sense of humor about this, he said something to the effect. Oh, let me find the tweet rather than just make it up. Uh, he had one excellent sentence to sum up all of the talk that Twitter may be going away because he was making another demand of the existing employees, of which there's fewer and fewer. But if Twitter goes away, what? how does he get his $44 billion? Okay, yes, but his tweet was, how do you make a small fortune in social media? Start out with a large one. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's the old saying in boxing. How do you how do you become a millionaire in boxing? You start with a billion. Uh so at least he's keeping a sense of humor about it. Who knows if his 40 plus billion dollar investments going completely down the tubes. I'm still in the camp that he actually does have a plan and knows what he's doing, but maybe I'm I, wrong. I could not disagree with you. Well, more. but maybe, uh, maybe he's in the long list of people that thought it was one thing and now realizes uh, what, what's the line. I love quoting eighties movies. Uh, Gordon Gecko, uh, Michael Douglas's character in wall street. When uh, Charlie Sheen says, why are you wrecking the airline? Meaning his father's airline, Blue Star Airlines, because it's wreckable. That's that's the line. Yeah. So maybe maybe this is Elon Musk. Why is he wrecking Twitter? Because I, it's gonna, I thought you were going to go with the line. Greed is good. Well, okay. greed is good. But there's so many different lines uh, in that, that. We're dating uh, ourselves once again, TJ. Yes, in terms of we are. Yes, where 80s movies are always. By the way, good. that is a classic movie. No doubt. Oh, about no it. question. Blue Horseshoe loves Dan Rayfield. Somebody figure out what that reference is to. Yeah, there you go. Um, all right. So we have much to get to. Let's start on a positive note. We have yes. positive health news involving Idos Yerbalsanuli the fighter that was seriously injured in Minnesota two weekends ago. He is improving. Dan, elaborate on what you learned, what you wrote about on Thursday as we released this podcast about the super middleweight seriously injured. Go ahead. 
So he's been in, in the, the hospital since he got knocked out by David Morell in Minneapolis on November the 5th. People remember that was the main event of the PBC card. Uh, he challenged Morell for his second tier 168 pound title. It was a brutal fight, one sided fight. He was losing that, you know, wide on every scorecard. He had been, uh, you know, taking a real bad beating. Um, you know, I thought the fight should have been stopped earlier. A lot of people thought that it didn't get stopped earlier. Morell dropped him in round 12 and then had a sensational knockout against him later in round 12. He ended up in the hospital, uh, needed uh, emergency brain surgery, was put into a medically induced coma. And, you know, the, the teams involved with him haven't even ever really acknowledged the particulars of the injury, just sort of skirting around the issue, but saying, you know, we wish him well, keep good thoughts for him, you know, for, for privacy reasons, I guess his family didn't want anything to discuss, which is perfectly fine in their prerogative. Uh, in any event, I had reported that he in fact had the surgery, that he had been put into a coma. And there really hadn't been a whole lot of news that, as I said to you on the last podcast, that no news was sort of good news in my mind, that as long as we heard he didn't die, that it's probably uh, better than if we did hear things, unless they were positive things. Well, over the last day or two, uh, positive things have come out, that he has been weaned out of this medically induced coma, which was done to give his brain time to uh, rest and to have the swelling reduce post-surgery, and that he was well enough, from what my sources have told me, that he has been able to talk to get out of bed and walk to some degree wow. has been moved out of the intensive care unit into a regular hospital bed, uh, which means, and I didn't report this because, you know, but this is just the way these things usually work at some point, if he continues to make those improvements, or even if he were to stay the same, if he's in a regular hospital room, that at some point in the probably near future, he'll be go to a rehab facility, which will be the mm -hmm. next step towards uh, getting back to uh, as best as he could to where he was. I, I know I can't, I don't have enough information from what the sources told me to characterize uh, what what the extent of any damage there has been. Um, but it was certainly a good sign to me that he was communicating, that he was walking. Uh, I was told that um, family members of his were able to come, including his wife from Kazakhstan, to be with him. There are still PBC folks and or TGB promotions, people who are the ones putting on the event that were in Minneapolis that were uh, helping his team or his family to deal with uh, whatever needs that they had, which is obviously uh, good for them and, uh, and and the right thing to do. And so I'd rather have the conversation that whatever element of improvement there is, then have a different conversation where it's gotten a lot worse and they had a, you know, permanent damage or take them off life support or whatever the case may be. Uh, so at the moment it looks promising. I mean, we don't know the every detail, so I, I can't sit here and say, great, he's going to be fine or whatever, but I know this based on what the sources say. He's not in any particular danger of imminent death like he was when he showed up at the hospital with a brain bleed and a swelling brain and needing surgery and being put in a coma. And that so is a positive turn of events. Tremendous news. And I just I know enough common sense. I'm not reporting this. I'm going off what you said. If he is able to get up right now and walk, even with assistance, even with a walker, even with helpers walking him, that is a fantastic sign for the future. That's not everything. We'll take it one step at a time, but that's a fantastic sign that he is much better. That's incredible. When you said that, I did not know that uh, from your story, but when you said that, that's a uh, that's a really uplifting thing. So out of out of all of the negativity here, let's take some consolation in that that he is better. I know. Well, I did I did write in the story that he was able to speak and, and walk yep. to uh, some yep. level. Good. So and, those are and, those are good things, obviously. And David Morell obviously has to feel better because you reported Morell has been there to the hospital, mm -hmm. may have been there multiple times to the hospital. The the fighter that injured him, uh, who lives in Minneapolis. So 
these are good things. Uh, these are good things, and let's hope it continues with the update. So that's a positive way to begin the show. Another positive. Are you uh, are you on the train here? Are we getting Gervonta Davis and Ryan Garcia? The fighters said on Thursday afternoon, we have an agreement. The promoter, uh, Oscar De La Hoya, basically says we have an agreement. Showtime president Steven Espinoza says we have we have an agreement. They don't have a fight date. They don't have no, a fight do. location. They do. Oh, wait a minute. Now you're going to break more news here on I'm the breaking news. I mean, if you see before we started taping the podcast, you didn't read the story that I wrote for the Substack. I know so you you're just breaking put rule number up one on the Substack. So I saw Ryan Garcia put 2023. Put a date in front of 2023 and tell me what's going on, so please. This is what it looked. Now, part of the, the 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 camps divulged and said that it would be Las Vegas in early 2023. The date, per my sources, is April 15th. So that is when it's penciled in for in Las Vegas. But there are things that have to take place before that. So again, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer and tell you it's not happening. Well, you know me now. I don't get right? too pumped up until it's fucking done. It ain't fucking done. So right now it's not fucking done. And so they can cheer and rah-rah all they want. And everybody can come out and say they've done this, they've done that. But until there are signatures on paper, right? And more importantly, or not more importantly, but as important. Tank Davis is taking a tune-up fight June 7th. I mean, uh, January 7th, my bad. January 7th. Probably here in Washington, D.C., uh, you know, uh, where I live or right outside, which means I'll attend that fight. No opponent yet. He has to win that fight, obviously. Or and not, or if he if he wins, he can't get injured and, you know, right. put off the fight, uh, you know, whatever. So that's the first step. Second of all, Ryan Garcia, because Tank hasn't fought since he knocked out Roley Romero back last May. So he didn't want to go that long of a length without the, without some other kind of fight, which whatever. Um, Ryan Garcia may also, not a done deal, but he may also take a tune-up fight. Now you're talking about two guys that have to win and not get injured and not not to mess things up. So that that's important to, to, to that, that you can't just say we're having a fight and then there's these tune-ups. Those mean something, even if the guy's expected to win. Does it surprise you that they both want to have another fight and not just go ahead and fight each other in the first part of next year? You've Nothing surprises a long time. Me. Nothing surprises me. I mean, but, first of all, Tank Davis's fight probably will be on Showtime pay per view. He'll make him a lot of money to fight a nobody. Uh, you know, Garcia, even though his fight's on DAZN, uh, wouldn't shock me if they try to put that on DAZN pay per view. But either way, he'll make a good amount of money to fight a nobody, uh, and then they'll fight. Now, Ryan, he did fight two times in this in 2022 against Fortuna and against uh, Emmanuel Tego earlier. So, you know, I don't really see the need for that. I don't, you know, and honestly, Tank would be out of the ring. If they fought in May and he doesn't fight again until April, it's 11 months. Um, you know, in this day and age of boxing, that's not the end of the world. But whatever. If they want to do a tune-up, they're doing a tune-up. So, again, I always say to people, if you want to talk about doing tune-up fights, before you get too brave, go watch Tommy Morrison against Michael Bent, please, and watch him get knocked the fuck out in the first round and blow an $8 million <laughs> payday for the heavyweight championship of the fucking world against Lennox Lewis. Tune-up fights are terrible. Now, the one time they did a tune-up fight, and this is more recently, but it's still a number of years ago, you had the Eric Morales, Manny Pacquiao had a fantastic first fight. And top rank is all gung-ho to do a rematch. And it was contemplated, we're going to do a doubleheader before they do the rematch. They both got to win, and then they'll do the rematch. And Manny Pacquiao went in the ring and beat the living shit out of Hector Velasquez. And Eric Morales, oh, by the way, fought the cutie former Olympian Zahir Rabin and got toyed with and lost the decision. And I always respect Bob Aaron for this. He said, fuck it, we're making the rematch anyway. And you know what? They made the rematch anyway. It was another big pay-per-view, and it was another great fight, and uh, that was that. So 
you know, at least Aram, you know, he said, screw the, you know, what, what I said beforehand, uh, we're doing the rematch anyway, and nobody complained about it. But in this particular case, th th that would have a real detrimental effect if either Garcia or Tank lost. They're undefeated. That would really put a huge damper on things. But besides the fact that there's a tune-up for, for at least one of them, possibly both of them, uh, you have to acknowledge that this could be a problem. You know, Tank Davis faces a trial in criminal court in his hometown of Baltimore from an incident that occurred, an alleged hit and run accident from uh, the end of 2020, where he was uh, allegedly did was involved in this hit and run where he left the scene of an accident that injured four people. And he faces 14 counts and potentially, if convicted, the maximum will be 50 months in prison. Now, I don't know if he's going to be convicted. The trial was moved from December uh, when it was originally supposed to be. It was supposed to start December the 12th. It was recently, uh, and, and I've looked at that. I knew this a couple of weeks ago when I was looking on the Baltimore County Court website. It's public. Anybody can do it if they just go to the website and call up the case. Uh, it's now been moved to start February 16th. So that's a big reason why Tank is fighting January 7th, to get the fight in before the, the, the possibility of the trial. You explained that before. You explained that before. Yeah. Keep going. So if he goes through the trial and he's convicted, he's not fighting April 15th, most likely. Now, is it possible that if he was convicted, that there would be a period of time before he's actually sentenced? Yeah. But when Raleigh Romero was being investigated for the possibility of a sexual assault in Las Vegas, where there was not even any charges, Showtime, like a hot, you know, like a hot potato, dumped his ass from their pay-per-view against Tank Davis, who ended up fighting, you know, Isaac Cruz instead. And then when uh, Rolly Romero was the, the investigation was dropped and no charges were filed, he was back in the fight and did the rematch. So how would it look if you have a, a fighter like Tank Davis who potentially could be convicted? And even if there is a couple of months in between of actually being sentenced, that they're going to go and support a pay-per-view with him, that would be a really... Uh, difficult situation. So the point is, Tank Davis has to handle his legal problems. Now, he certainly could be found innocent, or they could make some kind of plea agreement. There's a lot of different things that could happen between now and actually standing trial. Uh, you know, if they're willing to schedule this fight, maybe they know something, fair enough. But again, just reporting from a factual point of view, he faces a criminal trial in Baltimore for 14 counts on a hit and run accident. Uh, and there's no guarantee that he's not going to be convicted. And we should be clear on this, too. The reason why we won't go into all the specifics, but the reason why there's 14 charges, there are multiple victims here and there's multiple charges involving each victim about leaving the scene, et cetera, yeah. under the law. So it's all got to be sorted out. And you're doing a good job of painting the timeline on when that would be. It's still but so it's amazing. That was two years ago this month that all that happened, and it still hasn't come to trial yet. That tells you how long it has taken to even get this to trial. Well, as we discussed before, TJ, the lawyer for uh, Davis and the prosecutors reached a plea agreement. They reached an agreement. He was going to be convicted on whatever lesser charges. I forget the particulars of it. Mm -hmm. And he was going to, I don't know, was pay a fine, but he was going to be convicted and he was going to have to serve X number of months in home confinement. And when that, when that offer when that plea deal was presented to the judge that was overseeing the trial, that judge rejected it, making the point that I believe it was a, a woman judge. So she did not think that that was a good enough agreement because she felt like if it didn't include any jail time, that she was not going to accept that plea. So the judge in the case did not accept the plea agreement that the prosecutors and that the Davis camp had agreed to. And that's why he's going to trial. 
So unless they come up with another plea agreement that mm-hmm. might require him to spend some time in the can, that maybe they can make an agreement. Which obviously of- his side doesn't want and isn't going to agree right. to. We can we know that. That's why they were doing it the first place. And we did point this out again. I know enough of the law to be dangerous. You do too. Judges go by precedent, and judges are often concerned about what precedent am I now setting. And so I believe, just from reading up on this, et cetera, this judge looked at precedent in Maryland law, maybe even in Baltimore law, and said this many charges requires jail time. And so within the rights of the judge, the judge has to sign off on it. The judge can say this plea agreement is not good enough. It's not strong enough. Go back and bring me something else that's agreed to or we're going to court and we're going to litigate the facts. And whether he's guilty or not will be determined in front of a jury like it's supposed to happen. Whether or not he gets convicted or not will happen because a jury decides. Whether now, or not I don't know what's going to happen. This, but all I'm, the, the main point here, and this is not to litigate mm-hmm. Javante Davis's uh, you know, uh, legal issues. As it relates to the fight against Ryan Garcia, that we all want to see, obviously. And by the way, 12-round fight. 136 pound catch weight, meaning one pound over the lightweight limit, meaning which, that Javante Davis's crappy second tier title will not be at stake, which is fine. But, Nobody cares but about But clarify that. for me again, why do we care about 136? It'd be one thing if it was like 138, maybe. Why because do we care boxers about one pound like to, more? What, what, uh, help me, please. Boxers like to get, get, get their way and negotiate and make things complicated. Okay. Ryan didn't want to go all the way back to 135. Okay, that's cool. He's willing to go to 136. I'm not sure who pushed for which weight or whatever. But so 136. And you know what? As I said to somebody earlier tonight that's involved in this event, I said, you know, if, if it's at 136 and there's no uh, – there's not going to be a title at stake, at least not at the moment. The other world championships are accounted for in the lightweight division. And the and the 140-pound titles, even the ones that are vacant, have fights that are you know happening that are going to fill those vacancies. So it would be – I mean, I don't know if it will be for an interim title or something crazy, but – as it stands, just on its surface, 136-pound fight for not for a title would make this, to my recollection, the biggest non-title fight we've seen in a long time. Um, but what I was saying, though, before about, about, the, about the fight is that, they, that, yes, they agree. The bottom line is we have the prospect of this big fight, and it's good that everybody's on board, even though some sides were kicking and screaming to get there. Uh, but in the end, we want to see the fight. But again, the most important thing is before it happens and before everybody sees the the big headlines, fights on, fights made, and the and the over-emotional tweets from everybody that's involved saying we have a fight, you have dick. You have dick until the until the 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 situation with the interim fights is worked out and until Tank Davis's legal situation is ironed out one way or the other. So that's the first thing. Um and, and that that's important. Those things have to get taken care of. But if it gets done, it gets done. Now, what getting down into the weeds a little bit more, uh, one of the big issues here was who's going to show the fight because Sh- right. Showtime was absolutely against doing a joint pay-per-view event with the zone. The zone wanted to do the joint paper. I mean, they probably would have liked to do it on their own, but they were more than happy and willing to do it uh, as a joint event. And Showtime just basically gave them the finger and said, no fight. You know, if there's, a, we're not doing a joint pay-per-view, so there won't be a fight. Uh, my, I am told I am told that Ryan Garcia, and I give the guy credit, man, and I've given him credit for a long time. He really, 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 really pushed to get this shit done. He really went to the mat and basically, you know, told Golden Boy, you better make this fight. You better get this shit done. And, you know, DeZone really didn't have a choice about it. And, you know, and so Tank Davis wanted this fight. Credit to him. It was the people that are around them that weren't necessarily 
thrilled about making this match. You know, Al Heyman and Golden Boy don't like to work together. That's not a secret. They really didn't want to do this fight. Golden Boy gave in on everything. They're taking it up the ass, let's be honest. They gave Team <laughs> team, team Tank Davis and Showtime, they got everything their way. This is a one-way traffic deal. Uh, but that's how much Ryan Garcia But DeZone can still show the fight live, correct? As correct. far as now, we know. The way that's going to work is this. It's not a co-production. It is a straight Showtime pay-per-view. Their production, their mm -hmm. graphics, their announcers, their, team, their announcers, soup to nuts. They'll do their all access type of stuff, I'm sure. Uh, but one of the streaming outlets for it will be the zone pay-per-view. So if you want if you want to buy the fight as a pay-per-view, you'll have your choices. You can buy it on regular linear pay-per-view with probably you probably can buy it on ppv.com, our friends at ppv.com. Mm -hmm. You'll probably be able to buy it on fight. You'll probably be able to buy it on, you know, the, the the PlayStation or the Roku. And one of the other places you'll be able to buy it will be via uh, pay-per-view on the zone. So they would, in, in, in essence, not in essence, in, in actuality, you could buy the Showtime pay-per-view and watch it via the zone. So the zone would be showing a, a uh, Showtime pay-per-view. It begs one more question on this, because, for example, we're going to talk about Jaime Munguia coming up in a few minutes in his fight. Clearly, Showtime and Golden Boy were trying to work something out for Jamal Charlo to fight Jaime Munguia earlier this year. They could not work it out under a similar agreement for whatever happened for whatever reason. So the point you're making is this fight is big enough. The fighters want it bad enough, and they did work it out. They did figure out how do we serve both yeah, interests. Golden Boy basically bent to the will of Ryan Garcia and did what they had to do to get their their guy, the fight that they wanted, that he wanted very much. And this is a bonafide pay-per-view fight because Tank Davis has a track record as a pay-per-view entity who generates uh, numbers on pay-per-view. Now, it's a depressed number based on what we saw years ago, but of the guys who are on pay-per-view now, he does pretty good business. Ryan Garcia, while he's never had the opportunity to be on pay-per-view because since he's become a big name, he's been fighting on his own, which when he started doing that, didn't have pay-per-view. But he has a big enough fan base, I think, and a big enough following and sells enough tickets where, you know, his his involvement in the fight certainly makes it a pay-per-view. In the case of the Munguia Charlo conversations that took place, that was never really maybe by the boxers thought it should be a pay-per-view or the promoter was looking at it possibly as a pay-per-view. Mm -hmm. But the reality of in the real world of actual numbers and buys and and revenue was never a pay-per-view that could have done enough business to satisfy everybody. And that's why that didn't happen. And once again, there would be no reason for a Showtime to do a deal with the zone for a million reasons. We could probably spend a whole other podcast on it, but to put it in a nutshell, Showtime will tell you factually, they have distributed and produced the three biggest fights in the history of boxing. They have a litany of mega fights that they have been involved in on the production end for decades and the zone has been around for about five minutes and never even approached doing that type of business. So again, it's not a knock on the zone. I'm not here to knock the zone. I like their product, but based on Showtime's perspective of what they bring to the table, they basically, in their opinion, believe that the zone brings absolutely nothing to the table. And they were like, if you want to do this fight, we're doing it our way or the highway. And in the end, uh, golden boy and Ryan Garcia uh, and the zone said, okay, fine. All right. And so now we await for it to be official, official with what you've reported. We await for when is the Ryan Garcia. You would figure, just one more real quick, you would figure his tune-up fight would be coming right around the same time. 
or maybe oh, even sure. quicker, I mean, you would think because you only got might... three months till April. If yeah, I mean, they're not going to do their two fights if they both take tune-ups. They're not going to do them on the first of all. They won't be on the same card, right? Right, because they both generate their own event. But Garcia is not going to fight in mid-February and then turn around and fight in April. It'd be crazy. Yeah, He's no, gonna... probably you're probably right. I mean, I would I would imagine if you know if you want to do it the right way, it seems to me. And again, I haven't you know they haven't even made the determination 100 if Garcia is going to take a tune-up fight. But it would seem logical that if Tank is going to fight on on January 7th, that probably because again, you have to keep in mind, uh, and it's not the term. I don't know if Ryan Garcia's fight is being contemplated as a pay per view or as a live regular DAZN fight. That would take that into account about trying to keep two pay per views off of the same billing cycle, which is what companies try to do and not, uh, you know, get involved in that kind of business. So I would think it's probably at the latest you're talking about the first week of February for Tank. Because remember, they're not going to go on the, you know, they're not going to go on the week of the Super Bowl. They're not going to go on the conference championship weekend. And there's that one weekend in between that that seems to work, which I believe is what February 11th or I'll take your word for that. it. No, I think it's like the fourth or the fifth is the one in you between. Know, so maybe that's a, so I could see that as a possibility, but you know, again, I think we're, we're getting a little far ahead of ourselves because they haven't even decided if uh, if the, and he's like you said, Garcia might not fight. He might not fight between now and April. If the, if and April Tank could be in prison, cooling his heels for fifty. <laughs> you months. don't. We don't know. We don't know. But for now, we have what we have. Uh, with that okay, so it's so good news but it's like it's yeah, not all it's the, the way done i get it it's not all the way done it's, and it's almost like and, and, and to go against the, the the usual vernacular they're almost like half pregnant right which you can't be either there is a fight or there's not a fight at the moment and by the way the other thing and joe markowski who's done a, the executives at the zone even acknowledges in his public statements there's nothing signed they don't have a deal agreement there's no signatures and you know but it could they're, disintegrate. They're all, We've seen all, it. They all appear as though they're looking to, to, to get this done. Now, one thing I can say for sure, Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia, the athletes, have moved heaven and earth to try to make this fight. So props to them. Hopefully we'll get it done. I agree on that. We got fight previews still to come. First, though, championship fight next weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, for the WBC a junior welterweight championship, the 140-pound title. Jose Zapata, Regis Progre. Regis Progre, obviously former champion who uh, lost to Josh Taylor uh, in a unified title fight. So Progre trying to get a portion of the titles back that he used to have. One, Dan Rayfield spoke with Regis Progre recently, who's a good interview, and you're going to hear that here in the conversation. So let's get to that now as part of our Big Fight Weekend podcast. All right, I want to welcome to the podcast this week. It is the former junior welterweight champion, Regis Progray, and he's got a big-time fight coming up. He's going to take on Jose Zapata for the vacant WBC junior welterweight title on November 26th. It headlines a pay-per-view card taking place at the Dignity Health Park in Carson, California. I want to welcome Regis. Regis, thank you so much for doing this. How you been, man? I'm good, man. Um, you know, just training hard, training every day, you know, so my body's all banged up and beat up, but, you know, I'm just, I'm still, can't wait, man, looking forward to the 26. Well, talking to me for the podcast is a lot less straining than the sparring rounds and all that time in the gym, so your body will not get beat up talking to me today. It's been, right, right. <laughs> it's been about three years, almost exactly three years since you had the great fight with Josh Taylor in the final of the World Boxing Super Series. Super close fight. You didn't get the decision. He won the fight, unified the titles. Uh, and now it's three years later, you're finally getting another opportunity to fight 
for a title against Zapata. Your only loss is to Taylor in a world title fight. Zapata's only losses were in world title fights. Now you guys come together. You have a chance to, to win another title. He's looking to win his first world title. This has been a long time coming for you. Can you tell me sort of the, the anxiousness, the anxiety, the feeling of the three years to get to this point where, you know, it didn't, it, you didn't know if you were going to get this, another shot or not? Yeah, I mean, it's just like three years of frustration, you know. I mean, honestly, like, I thought that since, you know, since I did, you know, I, I lost the coke decision. And, I mean, listen, I still thought I won a fight. I think, you know, if it was here, like, listen, I think it, it was a close fight. And I, I won't I will ever say, I never say I got robbed. You know, I won't say that, you know, because that would be a horrible thing on my part. But I feel like it was a close fight. And I feel like if the fight with me and Taylor was here, I probably would have, maybe I would have got the nod. Right. Now that's past. That's you know that's three years ago. I, I don't look. I don't even look back at it anymore. But you know, I just thought that since the fight was so close, I was in a title shot again, like fast. You know, maybe a fight or something like that. Maybe a fight or two, and then I'll be right back in to get a title shot. But it's been three long years since I'm. You know, I I get a title shot again. You know, so it's just all that time. You know, for me, I just I'm getting more. I just. I let all this frustration, it's just been building and building and building, and I just got better and better. And, you know, I, my last three fights, you know, I went 3-0, and three knockouts, and I really haven't get to, I really haven't even gotten touched, you know. Now, of course, we can say the opposition wasn't that good. You know, we can, you know, we can better about that and stuff like that. But, um, you know, the fact is, it's like, yeah, I, I went, you know, I went after the fight, I went 3-0, three, three knockouts. And, you know, I was defensively sound. I didn't even get touched. So, um, like I said, with this fight, I just can't wait. It's been, it's a, it's been a long time coming. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just, so I'm just really, really excited. I know it's, it's kind of cliche to sound excited, but I mean, for me, just, just imagine three years of, you know, building up. And so, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's the excitement I'm at. It's just three years of, 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 of being all this building to get to a title shot again. And now it's finally happening. So that's the, if, if people can listen to my voice on the phone, you know, they can hear that, that type of excitement. So you now you said three and oh three knockouts since and and you know I appreciate that you recognize that it wasn't against the elite oppositions you know and that's that's cool you to let folks know you had the third round knockout against Juan Geraldez you had the six round knockout against Ivan Redcatch you had the six round knockout against Tyrone McKenna in your most recent fight and the thing is three years since the last title fight three fights since but you've only had the chance to fight once in twenty twenty once in 2021, and so far once in 22. Of course, you'll finish the year with this fight against Zapata. Uh, and you kind of bounced around. And so there was a period of time where you were kind of like out of minds of boxing fans because you were not, you know, you had parted with your previous promoter. You were fighting on different cards. So you had the one fight on a PBC card. Then you were on a Triller card on a show that was with Jake Paul. Then you signed up with Probellum and had the fight in Dubai against McKenna. So... Can you just discuss a little bit about that uncertainty where, you know, you have your management, but you weren't settled with a promoter and you didn't really know which stable of guys you might match up with. And, you know, the frustration I know was there, as you just explained, but that uncertainty part of it, not knowing like what your promotional home is, could be, I would think, a little bit aggravating also. Yeah, I mean, I just, it, like I said, I was just bouncing around. I didn't know what was going on, you know, management and stuff like that. You know, I, I was, you know, just trying to find out, you know, what was going on, what's happening, what could be my next move. I thought that, you know, um, we, I was, you know, I was talking to Al Heyman, and, you know, I thought that the PBC thing would, would that'll be where I was going to go. And uh, for me, I, I, that, 
what I thought that was going to happen was I was going to go ahead and go L and then I was going to fight for that WBA belt, which Barrios, you know, he had at the time. I was I was lined up to fight Barrios next after that. And something happened and it just didn't happen. Then, of course, Javante Davis, he fought for it. And he got the belt, you know, he got that WBA belt. But for me, man, everything, you know, everything just works out. Everything works out cool. I just... Um, for the most part, you know, of course, every now and then I might say some things on social media, but for the most part, I just put my head down and I worked. You know, I knew I was going to get this shot again, and I just put my head down and worked and worked and worked, and, you know, I just, you know, I just been, that's it, just it, just getting better, and I felt like, you know, once I get my title shot again, um, you know, I, I'm going to get that. I'm going to get my tie shot again, and I'm going to grab the belt, and that's what's going to happen. People, you know, you're not going to be able to stop me, you know. So I, I feel like, you know, I've been kind of, you know, look look over, I think, from the boxing world. Um, but, you know, it's all coming now, and like I said, I'm getting my title shot again, and so that's all that matters now. Well, I know when you before you got the opportunity, there was a little question mark of whether you were going to get this fight because it looked like you might get passed over by the WBC. And I saw some of the comments you did make on social media. You were obviously not happy about that. When you were unsure and and, and the belts were becoming vacant because of Taylor's decision to not fight mandatory fights and to instead pursue a rematch with Catterall, there was a couple of weeks there where it was sort of like, oh, my God, Regis Progress might get passed over for another title fight. That must have been like sort of agonizing. I know I saw your remarks on social media. You were pretty pissed off about that. Yeah, it was, man. It was aggravating. Well, the thing, it was aggravating because... Um, you know, Mauricio was at my fight, you know, my last fight in Dubai, Mauricio was there. So I knew, I understood that, you know, this is, you know, this is the eliminator. I'm going to fight for the belt next. And then they said that Ramirez and um, Zapata is going to fight for it. So that's why I was really aggravated. Now, if, 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 if I just fought Dubai, it was just a regular fight. And, you know, um, it wasn't supposed to be eliminated or nothing like that. Then I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't really be tripping about it, you know, but, you know, Mauricio came to the fight, and, you know, what I understood that this is going to be, you know, for the belt. This is, well, the next fight is going to be for the belt. So, I, you know, I understood that already before before my fight even, before even going to the fight um, with McKenna, I understood that, all right, this is for the fight eliminated. After this, you fight for the belt. And so then a few months go down the line, and they said, oh, Ramirez will fight. So that's why I was really, I was just really frustrated because it's like, you know, how you just going to pass up over me? That was, that was the frustration. So uh, just so people know, the Mauricio that you speak of, that is Mauricio Suleiman, of course, the president of the WBC. Uh-huh. Jose Ramirez, uh, for his reasons, bowed out of the fight. Um, guess uh-huh. he was getting married at the end of the year. And then you finally got the position. Uh, so whether you got it because you certainly deserved it or because of the decisions of another uh, fighter, can you describe your uh, when you found out that you were finally getting the shot, just what went through your mind when you said, yes, I finally got this shot with, uh, with Zapata to get this belt? I mean, I was just happy, man. I was just super happy. It was just, I felt like, you know, I've been, so for me, um, you know, I felt because after I lost my, after I lost the fight with, with Josh and I lost my belt, I thought that was going to be, you know, right back in line, you know. And so basically I had to wait this long, long time. And then it was like Ramirez, he lost and then he fought one fight and then it was like, all right, he jumped right back in line. And for me, it was just like unfair. And so that's, I mean, and I know, I know what it is. I know, I know how things go. I know how politics is and stuff like that. But it's like, man, you know, I've been, 
I could wait for three, you know, I've been waiting for three years for this. You know, I could have went to 47. I could have done a lot of different things with mm -hmm. my life and with my career. And, you know, I stayed around and I waited, you know, because I believed in myself and I wanted to, I wanted this. I just wanted to be a champion to get at 140 before I even, but for me, before I move on to, move on and go to 147, I just wanted to be a champion. I just really want to be a champion to get at 140. And I stood around for three years just for this opportunity. And it, it was just like, man, like, you just can't pass up over me. And, you know, luckily, you know, everything happened the way it's supposed to happen and now you know i'm happy about it so now they have uh the the order that you're supposed to fight zapata the deal doesn't get made it goes to a purse bid purse bids are usually pretty straightforward this one was a little bit wacky you had multiple bidders not just a promoter of each fighter and marv nation promotions ends up winning the purse bid. now i had heard of marv nation promotions because they've done some club shows and i've received some press releases but i think most people who follow boxing even really had no idea who Marv Nation was. So when right. you saw that this company uh, had won the purse bid, A, had you ever heard of them? B, what did you think when you saw they won? And C, what did you think when you saw they bid $2.4 million, which was double what the next bidder bid? You had to be thrilled, I would think. I mean, I definitely was thrilled about it, but you know, I mean, boxing is boxing, man. You you've been around boxing what thirty years, twenty five years, something like that. You know, what I mean, listen, boxing. Let's not, is, let's not age you know, me too I'm, much. Twenty two years, but okay. Uh, Twenty two. <laughs> right. So, you know, you've been around boxing for a long time, so I'm I'm you know, I've been around it, you know, for yeah, professional boxing almost ten years now, you know, and it's like you know, you see a lot of crazy things in boxing, so it's just like you don't you you just don't know what's you still don't know what's gonna happen until the fight actually happens. You know, until it actually, right now, everything is going good. Everything is going smooth. You know, we have some, you know, I, I have a few little hiccups with them and stuff like that. But right now, the fight looks like everything is going to happen. So, um, I just, for me, I'm just training, you know, training hard. And, you know, when it's, when it's October, I said October, November 26th comes, then I'll just be ready to fight, you know. So, I did, like I said, I didn't, I didn't really know who the Marvel Nation people was. I, of course, I heard about them there in California. They, they do shows out in L.A. and California and other parts of California. They do shows in Costa Rica. So I did hear about them through that. But obviously, you know, me, I never I never heard about it. I never saw them. So, you know, when they, when they made that bid, you know, I heard, of course, it's, it's a lot of whispers going in boxing. And, you know, a lot of people said all kinds of things about them. But right now, it's looking like everything going to happen. So uh, all I can do is, you know, keep trying and, and the fight is going to happen. So my understanding is that you you were in your when you've been talking about this fight as it was announced, uh, they they're they're calling it the best versus the best, but you call it killer versus killer. Why is that? Yeah. I mean, well, I, I mean, I feel like the pay. First off, um, you know, I wanted to give him a little credit. Um, at first, I definitely wanted to give him a little credit. He, I feel like he. Um, he deserves it. He definitely deserved the shot. You know, if I if I wasn't the person that deserved the shot, he definitely deserved the shot because you know he got there. He you know he beat some top guys. He had some real good fights and stuff like that. And um, I know I'm a killer, and I feel like you know I feel like you know he's he, he's a killer in the ring too. So um, you know he he I, I saw him get off the get off the ground against Brancheck. He he knocked out Brancheck out cold. Then he he knocked out Jose Vargas. So you know those those are big fights. Um, I guess I, I could definitely give him credit for. Um, so I guess that's what, you know, that's why I say it. And, it. and it makes the promotion sound better anyway. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know what, he beat Pedraza also. I mean, like you said, he's got a pretty good resume. And uh, and he's had previous opportunities that he hasn't uh, gone, that haven't gone his way. But like you mentioned, that Baranchik fight, fight of the year, uh, when they fought in 2020, um, he has won um, five fights in a row. 
uh, like you mentioned, you'd have your three fights in a row. But here's the thing also, Regis. You you are known for being in crowd-pleasing fights. Your fight with Josh Taylor was fantastic. You've had other fights that have been excellent to watch. He has been in a fight of the year and made some outstanding fights. Uh, you're calling it killer versus killer. They're calling it the best versus the best. Do you see any possible way, however it goes, that this cannot be an entertaining fight? I, I struggle to think to myself, how could this not be uh, worthwhile to spend your time uh, in watching this match? No, I definitely think it's going to be an entertaining fight. Listen, first off, before I get that, I just feel like, I really just feel like I'm I'm above him. As far as skill-wise and level-wise, I really feel, I really feel like I'm, I'm going to beat him. I feel like I'm going to stop him. And that's just what I feel, get that out of the way. But I definitely feel like it's going to be an entertaining fight. I, I mean... Um, yeah, it, it should definitely be an entertaining fight, man. You got you got two you got two southpaws, two people with power, um, with skill, and it's. I mean, what else? I mean, what else you want me to say? You, if you can watch my fights, you can watch his fights, and you can see like you know they should clash. Is it some? It's just two people that probably should clash with each other, and you know it's happening. So. I, I definitely think it's going to be an exciting fight. It shouldn't be a boring, you know, it definitely shouldn't be a boring fight. If anybody loses, it won't be the fans, for sure. Am I romanticizing too much when I found out that this fight was happening? I was like, yeah, that's a good fight. I'm, That's definitely going to be a good fight. Then they put the fight at the Dignity Health Park, which before that was yeah. called StubHub Center, before that the Home Depot Center, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. It has become a place that has hosted, for whatever reason, there's always fight of the year candidates that take place there. You know, it is hallowed grounds in boxing, in my opinion. You have had tremendous battles there. Two of them off the top of my head, one of the all-time great fights ever, the uh, the third fight between Vasquez and Marquez, Bradley versus Provodnikov, another epic battle. Like, it just seems to produce those kind of fights. So am I crazy to think that the, the, the style of the two fighters, yourself and Zapata, are going to probably make for a good fight? But then you put it there, for whatever reason, it seems to bring out the best in these guys that fight there. That that could actually add to the to the lore of what this fight could become. Yeah, I think so for sure. You know, it's the you know it's just like the yeah the environment. You know, the stadium is gonna be in the environment. You know, I know you know me. I'm coming, and I know with him. You know, he he's he's in LA. He's from LA. He's gonna have all his people there, so that'll probably bring something different out of him also. So I mean, I mean, I I think yeah, exactly what you're saying. Just that environment will bring out something different in in, in both of us. And let me just touch on your overall weight class. At 140 pounds, obviously you two guys are going to battle it out for the WBC title, uh, and you're two of the best guys in the division. Josh Taylor is still there. He's going towards his rematch with Catterell, supposed to be early next year, although he probably will move up after that fight, whatever happens. But there's still other talent in the weight class. Jose Ramirez is still there. That was a guy that there was talk of you fighting before you went into the World Boxing Super Series. Tiafimo Lopez has moved up into that weight class. He has a fight coming up and is an exciting uh, fighter, former lightweight champion. Ryan Garcia has now joined the party at 140. You know Tank Davis, who's already had one fight there, will be back eventually. you got guys who are uh, undefeated, like Arnold Barbosa wants a big fight. Uh, uh, Alberto Pollo just won the vacant WBA title. Uh, Matias and Ponce are supposed to fight for one of the other vacant titles. Gary Antoine Russell is one of the top young guys coming up. I mean, Regis, this is an absolutely loaded weight class. If, if you take care of your business against the Peta, I mean, there's so many possible big matchups in that weight class that it, it could keep guys busy for years, it seems to me. What are your thoughts about where 140 is right now in terms of the, the depth and the excitement that it can bring, particularly for guys who have titles that are near the top? Well, listen. I mean, that's why I stayed at 140. You know, I had I had a chance to go to 147 when I had the I had the stuff with Marie Tucker going on, and you know, the whole deal with me and him was like, oh, he's going to 147, and I'm gonna stay at 140. You know, and so I just I felt like this was going to happen. All those guys you named, I felt like this was I felt like this was 
this was bound to happen. That, that's why I stayed at 140. I could have, you know, for me, I could have went to 47 a long time ago. It probably made more money, you know. But for me, I, I just I just saw the bigger picture. You know, I saw the bigger picture. I, I, I played the long run, you know. I'm, um, that's just what I do. You know, I, I just, I play everything I do. I play it for the long run, the long game. And I've seen this happen. I just saw it. I saw all that stuff coming up. You, um, All these dudes are coming up. You, have, you still have all these guys there at 140. And this is gonna be probably one of the most loaded and stacked divisions in boxing. And you know, of course, I don't. I'm not gonna look past the Pater. The Pater's the only person on my mind for until November 26th. But I, in the back of my mind, I know that it's you know it's stacked after this, and then the WBC is you know is one of the most prestigious belts out there. So after this, everybody, it's just gonna be all big fights, really like all huge fights after that. So um, yeah, that's definitely in the back of my mind. I'm glad I stayed at 140. Um, you know, of course, a lot of people are telling me, go to 147, you should go to 147. But like I said, for three years, people have been telling me, go to 147, go to 147. It's like, nah, I know what I want. I see this. I played a long game, and I'm glad I played a long game, and I'm glad I stayed at 140 because it's going to be the most popular division in boxing. One wow. of them, at least one of the most popular divisions in boxing. A loaded division, and, and you and Zepeda are, are uh, at the forefront at the moment with this tremendous battle coming up November 26th. Uh, Regis, thank you very much for taking time to talk to me about it all today. I appreciate it very much. I wish you nothing but the best of luck in your fight. Oh, man, thanks. I know we're looking forward to that championship fight that is coming as you talk there with the former champ. Again, in that case, uh, uh, help me on this. Uh, the, they set that up for you to do that. Was that a situation where you were just simply on the phone and not able to see him? Because a lot of times you've been doing this on video conferencing where you've been able to see the fighter. That was a case where you were not able to see him, but still happy to get the interview and happy to get oh, the conversation yeah. going. No, I, I listen. I just I reached out to Regis's people and I said uh, I'd like to talk to him if he's cool with it, and we'll play it on our podcast. I'll have some mm -hmm. quotes for some stories and whatever. And they were fine. I mean, I've known Regis for a long time. He's a good dude, and they were happy to do it. We had about. Uh, uh, you know, we, we planned it out a couple of days beforehand, got on the phone and uh, I recorded it and he was terrific. And, uh, you know, one of the things about Regis Progre is among the fighters that, 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 you, that are, you know, in, in championship level fights in boxing uh, these days, he's one of the best guys you can interview. He's, I've always found him to be uh, open. He kind of wears his mm -hmm. emotions on his sleeves. He says mm -hmm. lots of interesting things. He's got interesting takes on things. He's also the kind of guy, we didn't really get into it in this particular interview because this was geared more towards what's going on in his boxing life and the upcoming fight and the the, the difficulties to get this second opportunity to yes. fight for the title. But Regis Progre is a cool cat from the standpoint where you could talk about a lot of different subjects not related to boxing and, and find interesting things to talk to him about. Uh, so I, I like him a lot personally. He's a good dude. And uh, he's a fun fighter to watch, and uh, it should be a hell of a fight. I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. Again, he and Zepeda will hook up next week. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting odyssey, I think, is the right word, where Progre was trying to go with PBC for a little bit, didn't have a multi-fight deal, ended up. Then I think he fought on the Triller card in Atlanta. He, I mean, he had then, a deal and, that PBC yeah. offered him a deal, and they did decided, for whatever reason, they didn't take it. So he had a couple, like you said, he had a free agent fight with PB, did one fight with PBC. They didn't do the long-term deal. He did the one fight with Triller. Um, and and now, you know, he's got this fight. And, you know, it's everything he's been working for for the last three years. Because when he lost to Taylor, you know, it was a really close fight. Yep. And a lot of people thought he may have done enough to win it, but it was in Taylor's uh, home area. Uh, I'm not saying it was a robbery or anything like that, but you'd think that with that type of close nature fight that he would have gotten some other title shot now he did have the fight that put him in this position he also besides we mentioned he did the fight with pbc he did the fight with triller he did then he signed with probellum they put him on a show that took place earlier this year in march in uh 
in Dubai where he knocked out Tyrone McKenna, which was in an mm-hmm. official eliminator. And this is what got him the opportunity. So since the Taylor fight over the last three years, he's three and oh, but they've been on kind of low profile, low profile shows because I mean, not to say that Jake Paul was low profile, but it was kind of buried on that undercard. It wasn't a very right. good opponent. He fought Ivan Redcatch who bitched out and, uh, you know, claimed uh, that he got hit low and they called it a DQ or called it a TKO, which it should have been, but there was a lot of, com- you know, uh, uh, controversy at the moment that it occurred. You know, he beat up on Juan Geraldez on the PBC card. You know, not exactly Mr. High-Profile opponent there. And the McKenna fight, uh, not a high-profile opponent either, but also not televised in America. If you could find the ProBellum stream, you might have been able to watch it, maybe watch it after the fact on YouTube. So he's kind of been out of sight, out of mind since the loss to Taylor, which was a terrific fight and a, a good performance despite the loss. So now he's back where he felt like he should have been. And remember, TJ, it was not easy for him to even get the WBC to give him this shot because they were talking about other things. It was only until Jose Ramirez bowed out and said he was not going to fight the rest of this year because he was getting married and was taking some time off that they finally agreed to put him in the fight because the WBA didn't accept him for a fight. You know, he wasn't in, you know, in an IBF uh, type of fight to get the other vacant title fight. So, you know, he was scrambling around and it was, you know, we talked, you know, people listened to the interview here. We spoke about that. And but you know what? He deserves this opportunity. Good for him. Cepeda also good fight. And let's get it up. That is coming next weekend for the WBC 140-pound crown. We look forward to that. We look forward to talking about the fights this weekend, including Jaime Munguia in action for however long this non-title fight is going to be. We'll talk about that coming up next. We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. Back in one more time here on the weekend preview that is usually out late night Thursday and into Friday on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast comes your way off the weekend, usually late Sunday uh, into Monday. Uh, So we again make it a point, follow or subscribe to make sure you get all of this good content in the preview mode or the recap mode and special interviews and conversations will be there from time to time on this podcast feed as well. Okay, so that is this is not a stellar world championship weekend uh, across the landscape of boxing. There is a significant name in action, and that is Jaime Munguia, who is the number one ranked WBO middleweight and has been for some time in action in a non-title fight. Uh, Gonzalo Coria is the opponent that you and I, and honestly, if you, I'm deferring to you, if you don't know a lot about him, then most don't know a lot about this guy he's fighting. Monguia, obviously big time puncher has kind of been in the number one spot for a while at, as for the, as far as the WBO is concerned at middleweight expected to win, expected to win easily here, a heavy favorite. So Dan, give me a thought or two. This one in Guadalajara, Mexico, Saturday night for Monguia back in the ring. Massive mismatch on paper, terrible main event for zone on top of what on paper is a no-name undercard. And Mungi is now fighting about his seventh guy in a row that was a meaningless kind of fight. Keeps talking about how this is going to get me ready for the big world title fight. Well, dude, what are you waiting on? I'm, I'm so down on this fight and this card. It's just pathetic. Uh, and, and this is hard to do. I never heard of Gonzalo Coria when this was made. So when you make a main event on what's supposed to be like a major boxing platform and you can have an, a, a fighter in a main event that I've never heard of, that's hard to do. <laughs> now I was reminded after I said that to a friend of mine and who is a boxing person, they said, well, don't you remember you never heard of Corey? I said, no, I haven't heard of Corey. 
I said, yes, you have. I said, I have. He says, yeah, because in 2020, in the bubble, when Top Rank was doing all those fights at the MGM Grand in the Conference Center, right. Janabek knocked him out in the second round. Oh, yeah. So I didn't, <laughs> I guess I had heard of him, but it didn't come to mind. And when the only thing that they can tell you that's like a reason that you should know him is because he got drilled by Janabek two years ago, that tells you what kind of match we're looking at. The Bet US line has it. Are you ready? 10,000 oh to one. You got to bet $100 to win a dollar on Munguia on the money line. And I'm even looking here. Korea is a 2,000 to one underdog. I'm looking for the knockout prop. We'll talk about this more on the Bet US uh, show live one Eastern time on the Bet US platforms coming up on Friday. I'm looking for the Munguia knockout prop, which is minus 700. So the odds makers believe this is going to be quick. Under over, by the way, what did I see? Four and a half rounds uh, on this. For Munguia to get the knockout. And ultimately here, can we get this guy in <coughs> either against Jana Beck or in some kind of a title shot? Because am I am I wrong that he has been in that number one slot for over two years? Well, ever since he ever since he vacated time. ever since he vacated at 154 and went up to middleweight, he could have at any time asked the WBO to be made the mandatory and given a title shot. Now, he didn't do that. And now at the recent convention that just took place a couple of weeks ago for the WBO in Puerto Rico, they bestowed upon him the mandatory status officially in the middleweight division. So he, is, and then they said in their rulings as they went through their different weight classes at the convention, remember that was right before Janabek had the fight against Denzel Bentley. But the WBO had ruled that Janabek would have to next make a mandatory defense. And I suppose if Bentley had won, he would be in the same situation. Bentley lost a decision to Janabek. So Janabek is now... Um, order to make his next fight as a mandatory defense, which theoretically be against Mungi when he gets done smashing up your boy, Coria. <laughs> and uh, the question will be, and we discussed this briefly before, it's not a matter in my mind of whether Janabek and, and his team at top rank and his management and everybody, if they're willing to fight Mungia in the, in the title defense, I think 100%, they would have absolutely no problem. They, they know they struggle to get opponents uh, for Janabek. Now, they may not struggle as much now, because he didn't look so stellar against Denzel Bentley. But the mandatory is next, and so I don't think they'd have any problem making the match with uh, with Munguia. They get along okay, fine with Golden Boy after the last number of years. Uh, it's a it's a good fight, you know, in terms of entertainment value, and, you know, definitely some uh, definitely would be a good action fight in my mind. So I don't think there's a problem on that end. To me, it's all about whether or not Golden Boy Promotions and their co-promoter Zanfer, and whether the fighter uh, and his management want to go and, and, and risk against uh, Janabek. Now, the other thing that Mungia has spoken about, what he would like, and I don't know how, how realistic it is at the moment, he's much more interested not so much in fighting Janabek, but he would rather fight Gennady Golovkin, who is a unified champion in the middleweight division. But Golovkin uh, faces mandatory fights of his own mm -hmm. in both of, the, both of the belts that he holds. So how that's going to shake out is still unresolved. I mean, he could vacate, I guess, and maybe get an exception if he tried to. So there's different you know things that could potentially happen. But just from afar, it would seem like Munguia versus Triple G, at least in Triple G's next fight, uh, would be a little bit difficult. That the Janabek certainly can be there, but that's obviously greater risk and greater, uh, not as much reward, I guess. So I just hope that if, if uh, Munguia does what he's supposed to do against your boy, Coria, that he accepts a fight with Janabek and we see that matchup. That'd be a good fun fight. It's but great that you then, can... 
He just fights nobody. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, it's great that you're fantasizing about fighting Golovkin, <clears throat> but you haven't done anything to really solidify yourself with those other organizations. You don't have one of the other titles, which would be another reason why Golovkin might have wanted to fight you before. Now he's got to fight his mandatories, like you're talking about. I'll, the, I'll go ahead and say this. I'll go ahead and say this. It's it's apparent to me he's been mismanaged. Sorry, Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy. Because the opponents have been garbage the last two or three times. No title shot. You're wasting this guy in some prime years of his career. So and I, not I like, just say mismanaged. It's, mismanaged. It's, one thing, it's one thing if he was a massive draw. Mm-hmm. If he was generating millions of dollars in ticket mm-hmm. sales. Or he was selling pay-per-view just by fighting a complete nobody. You know, it, And you don't think he can really fight. And you know what? You ride the gravy train. I get it. I mean, I get it's business and, and the money and all that. But it's not like he's doing that. Munguia draws a nice crowd. No, he doesn't. He draws good crowds in, in Mexico, and he's drawing nice crowds. And, uh, you know, they get paid a license fee to do the fights. I mean, it's not like they're making tens of millions of dollars. So at some point, like, step him up. And here's the other thing. Because Munguia is such a fun fighter to watch, he's very exciting. This is not a knock on Munguia. I really believe that Munguia, the athlete, wants to step up. Uh, like Big most, puncher. Most of, Big puncher, too, which draws. Yes. If, if Jaime Munguia lost a fight, would anybody say, oh, <laughs> he lost? I'm never watching that dude again. Are you kidding me? He's exactly the kind of fighter you'd want to watch again. Why? Because he's exciting. He comes to fight. He fights with his balls. He fights with his heart. He makes good fights. He throws a lot of punches. He gets hit. I mean, if guys just called it a day after they'd suffered a loss, we would never have had great careers from a zillion fighters we could talk about who made great fights. You know, look at look at Oscar. Oscar was now he's maybe a better grade when he was in his best days than Jaime Munguia. Oscar was an Olympic gold medalist and won world titles in six weight classes and fought everybody. But guess what? Oscar won some huge fights and Oscar lost some huge fights. Mm-hmm. And when Oscar lost huge fights, it never really had a big impact on his career from the standpoint of being able to draw fans and 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 big big gates and big pay per views because people love to watch him fight because he was exciting and he fought everybody. And I've said this before on the night that he got knocked out by Bernard Hopkins. He took after that fight, he got knocked out with a body punch. He took like a year, year and a half off after that fight. Career wasn't over. He came back after that long layoff. It was like adoration. He fought uh, uh, Ricardo Mayorga for the for Ricardo Mayorga's junior middleweight title. And he knocked him out in a great fight in an exciting performance. And never had Oscar ever seen that kind of popularity and that adulation. As on the night he came back after a long layoff of a knockout loss and knocked out Ricardo Mayorga. That loss against Bernard Hopkins did absolutely nothing to diminish or hurt his his uh, fan base or his marketability. And so if Jaime Munguia loses a fight and he gives a good effort and he and he goes down, he loses a decision, even if he got stopped, who gives a shit? Dust him off and come right back. So that's what I don't understand. He's 40-0, but 40-0 against what? Against nothing. Sure. So Last three opponents gave Rosado the veteran. That's going to have a negative impact on his I'm with you. Last, last three opponents gave Rosado which was in November of last year, earlier this year fighting Demetrius Meech Ballard in Tijuana, knocked him out in the third round, and then somebody, Jimmy Kilrain Kelly, knocked him out in the fifth round back in June. I didn't hear a Hall of Fame name on any of those guys. So, go back even before that, before the Rosado fight. He fought Camille yeah. Armetta, whose claim to fame was getting destroyed by Triple G in a mandatory fight. Go back before that. The one guy, again, not a Hall of Famer, but at least a good quality contender, even if he had some injury issues that kept him out of the ring. He did beat by knockout Toriano Johnson, who at his best is a very good fighter, was an Olympian and all that. But before that, 
Spike O'Sullivan, give me a fucking break. Right. Before that, Patrick Alate, give me a break. Before that, Dennis Hogan, uh, not a terrible fighter. Uh, and actually, if that fight was the guy, that was the guy that a lot of people, this is back in 2019, a lot of people thought this was back when Jaime was defending his junior middleweight title. Many, many, many people thought that De Dennis Hogan from Australia outboxed Jaime McGee and deserved to get the victory. And he kind of got robbed that night uh, in a majority decision that took place in Mexico, not in Australia. And before that, uh, the unknown Takeshi Inoue uh, won a decision. Before that, the one and only Brandon Cook. Come on. This guy's fought nobody. Liam Smith was a good win for him on HBO in 2018. Liam Smith is actually still going strong today. And before that, when he won the title, he won the title over Saddam Ali. Saddam Ali had scored a uh, decision victory against Miguel Cotto in a big upset that turned out to be Cotto's last fight. He retired after that. And Saddam Ali was really a, a true welterweight. He was didn't have any business being a junior middleweight. He got to Cotto on uh, a night where Cotto just didn't have it and retired. And when he, Saddam Ali went in the ring, he was completely outgunned and outmuscled. And, and uh, Munguia, the much bigger man, much bigger puncher, just obliterated him. But so that, you know, that's a good win because he got the world title. But when you really look at the totality of Jaime Munguia's record at 40 0, he's got a good win against Liam Smith. He's got a controversial win over Dennis Hogan and a fighter that he should have beaten. And he's got a nice, solid win against Toriano Johnson. And other than that, I give him credit for nothing. Mismanaged. I'm going to stay with that word. All right. So, not, he's not well, the Golden Boy's not the manager. They're the promoter. Well, whoever's putting him in with the guys he's fighting, put him in with better guys, whatever distinction we want of that. Better quality of opponent. We're we are in agreement there. Uh, by the way, they know it too. They know this fight sucks because there's been no publicity on this fight. <laughs> They've done absolutely nothing. There's been no photo. Usually they, they put out like workout quotes and right. send out photos. They hit you up. You want to do interviews. They never even so much as put out a, a press release about the undercard for this fight. The reason why I have the undercard on my schedule that I keep on my Substack is because I was kind of badgering Golden Boy to send me the bout sheet for, for a week and they finally did it. So, you know, they're, they don't even give a shit about this card, I don't think. Now, technically, That's... it's really more of a Zanford promotions card in February, right. in, uh, in Mexico. But still, there is co-promoter. They're the one with the TV uh, agreement with the zone, you know, for the streaming rights and all. And they've done absolutely nothing on this fight. So I'll put it like this, TJ. If they don't care, well, why should I care? Well, right. And so in any event, Munguia I'm feeling real. I'm feeling prickly tonight, man. I, I can tell. But in any event, let's see if Munguia at least delivers a big-time knockout and has a better fight in his next fight, if not a title fight with Janabek. Let's find out if that is the case. All right, one more fight card of note. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it. It is the fight card in Telford, England. Liam Davies is the uh, British super bantamweight contender undefeated, fighting someone named Ionat Baluta. Did I come close getting that name right? Yeah, uh, Ionat Baluta, if anybody follows it, he had a, a decision loss to Michael Conlon. Okay. So he's, so he's like, you know, he's a decent European level fighter. He's from Romania, trains so in England. This is the main event fight. Uh, for that fight card. Also on that fight card, Anthony Yard, who is slated to fight uh, Archer Betterbiev coming up. Yard in a stay-busy, tune-up type fight in the co-feature. So we'll at least peek at what are the results here, if not see some of this, on Saturday afternoon, uh, U.S. time, Saturday night in England. So that's the other and significant fight card. Fair enough that those guys are in action, and we'll see what the results are. Yeah, and by the way, that fight is available in the United States on ESPN Plus Live, so people can watch it on Saturday afternoon if they so desire. And look, Liam Davies, you know, he's undefeated. He's only got 12 fights. He's fighting for the European title at 122 pounds against Baluda. The European title is still sort of a big deal in Europe. I mean, it, it does produce lots of future world champions, and that's sort of the route a lot of guys go, particularly in the U.K., the whole 
the, the, the traditional route is you win the British title, you win the Commonwealth title, you win the European title. And then if you're so fortunate, you get an opportunity and you've done well, and you get to fight for the world title. That's the old uh, standby way that the traditional British route to the world title goes. Lennox Lewis did it and there's others. You know, I think Prince Nassim did the same thing. And uh, Liam Davis trying to follow that sort of same same route. And, uh, you know, as a fight, it shouldn't be too bad. Baluda made a pretty decent fight against Colin. But like you said, Yard, that's the one. He's the mandatory already for better BF. He's taking this tuna fight. I've talked to you about what I think about tuna fights. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. He's fighting a guy who's 14-1, Stefani Koykov. Uh, the Yard fight against better BF, as I've written this already like a few weeks ago, uh, if he gets past this, that fight will take place January 28th uh, at the OVO Arena. The the old, you know, what's, it changes sponsor names all the time, but it's the Wembley Arena across the street from the big stadium. Um, that fight will take place January 28th on ESPN Plus, but Yard's got to win and make sure he's not injured. And then we'll see him in his mandatory against Better BF. So, all right. Good enough. There are the fights for this weekend. By the way, one more thing. We did have an anniversary as we released the podcast of Lennox Lewis and his win in 2001 to regain the heavyweight championship against Hasim Rahman. And so I want to pose something to you as we depart and put you in a little better mood and put a smile on your face before we leave. Isn't it fair to say when Lewis regained that title with a one-punch KO of Rahman that that is, I think, in terms of big-time title fights, heavyweight title fights or elsewhere, that's the only one that I can think of. You're a much better resource where the champion lost on one punch and got the titles back within the same year on one punch with a one punch knockout. I can't think of another example in the same year of a prominent of a prominent champion losing on a one punch knockout, Rockman knocking out Lennox Lewis. Previous podcast, you told a great story about friends of yours getting tickets in South Africa to the Rockman KO of Lewis in fight number one, because you helped them do that. That was a great story. But they came back around and fought six months later, and Lewis scored a one-punch knockout, a devastating overhand right of Rockman. The same way I think it was a little—it was a little longer than six months, but it was a court-ordered rematch. Look, Rockman tried to get around; he tried to get away right. from that rematch right. because he thought he was going to make a, a pot of gold against Mike Tyson. Right. Lennox Lewis took him to federal court. It actually went to court, and he won the case. And the judge in that case—I remember—I was—I covered that fight in Las Vegas. I was writing at that time, still at USA Today, and my recollection is. When uh, Lennox won that court case in federal court in the Southern District of New York, the judge ruled that Rockman had to either either a honor the rematch clause and give Lennox Lewis an immediate rematch in his next fight, or he'd have to sit out for 18 months or 16 months, which was not doable for Rockman because if he had sat out for that long, a he wouldn't have made any money, and b he would have been stripped of the titles because the sanctioning bodies weren't going to let the titles go mm-hmm. uh, without activity for that long. And so he sucked, you know, he, he sucked it up and he gave Lennox the rematch that he deserved that he tried to weasel out of, um, you know, maybe the apple doesn't fall far from the tree like Rockman Jr. with Jake Paul. And I say that lovingly because everybody knows my affection for Hasim Rockman Sr. Uh, but he gave Lennox the rematch and uh, Lennox Lewis knocked him the fuck out. Can you think of another one just off the top of your head where the champion lost his title on a single punch and then got it back with a single punch, the same overhand right. I can't think of one. I mean, I'm thinking of certainly in the heavyweight division. One doesn't come to mind. You know, you're narrowed it down. You're saying it's the same year. It's a one punch knockout. It's heavyweight division. Are you taking any champion, right? 
I mean, when I when I think of all the greats, whether you're talking about the the four kings and any of their fights round robin, did anybody knock anybody out with one punch and get the title back with one punch? No. Mike Tyson, no. Who else? I mean, who else? Oscar De La Hoya, like you mentioned, or Floyd Mayweather never lost. Manny Pacquiao, did he ever knock somebody, get knocked out with one punch, then knock somebody out with one punch in the very next fight, the same fighter in the same year? I think it's just yeah, no, I mean, I'm thinking of like I'm thinking of guys subplot there on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of like the who are the, the great champions that I wrote about that had rematches. I mean, I mean, Rafael Marquez and and Israel Vasquez, they fought mm -hmm. three consecutive fights of their four fights, and the first two ended by knockout, but they were one punch knockouts. They were, I think the, the first two were definitely in the same year, because I've always made the point that when you refer to the second fight between Marquez and Vasquez, which was for the 122-pound title, that it was the fight of the year that year, and that the first fight would have been the fight of the year, but it took place in the same calendar year as the second fight. But again, one was on a guy, you know, he he uh, was pulled out of the fight, he had a broken nose, and it ended with him on the stool. And then the other one um, was a knockout also, but it wasn't a one-punch knockout. So, I mean, that, and that again, those were in the same year. Gaddy Ward had two of their had two of their fights in the same year but not knockouts, not world title fights. I'm just thinking of like who had multiple fights. I mean, first you got to think of who had quick rematches. You mentioned Ray Leonard and Duran. They fought it back to back, uh, I think in the same year, but like, you know, separated by only like right. four Decision months. in the first fight for Duran. And then no Moss in the no second No Moss fight. in the second one, right. So I, I think it stands at least over the course of modern boxing. I can't think of another prominent example. One punch knockout loss, big time title fight heavyweight or otherwise, and then got it back with a one punch. And Lennox Lewis did that, what, 21 years ago now on Thursday. He got his titles so, back with one punch. So I was, I was there covering that fight in Las Vegas at, uh, at the Mandalay Bay. And as I have said before, people say, you know, like, you know, what's your best pick? I always tell them I, my best pick ever was picking Rockman to knock out Lennox Lewis in the first fight for the heavyweight title. Uh, that's legit. I wrote it in USA Today. I mm -hmm. uh, detailed my reasons why. I mean, we've gone through that before on the podcast, I think back before. Mm -hmm. One of my worst picks, I guess I have to cough it up, is I picked Lennox to get knocked out in the rematch also. <laughs> so I, I, I failed on that one. Well, before. you got the knockout part right. There was a knockout. The knockout part, yes. Not the right Not the right. Well, let me tell you, there was things up. I remember. Rockman was, you know, Rockman was one of those guys. And I, again, I say this with, uh, I, I love Rockman. I, I've always had affection for the guy. He's a great guy known him for 20 plus years, uh, had a chance to see him back a few months ago in Vegas. He was at the gym, uh, during Devin Haney's workout, uh, and media day when I went to talk to him before he went to Australia to fight George Kimbosis for the first time. I hadn't seen rock in a, in a, in a bit. And we sat in bullshit for, you know, good 20 minutes, just kind of caught up and just had a great time. It was great to see him. But Rockman was one of those guys, you know, the movie Bull Durham, Mm -hmm. baseball movie one of my favorite movies of we were time. quoting wall street earlier in the podcast you're gonna okay. wrap it up quoting bull durham go i'm gonna wrap it up so there's the scene where you got the kevin costner character uh who's the the the, the catcher crash supposed to be, davis crash, crash davis, davis exactly he's supposed to be like the the mentor mm -hmm. to the to the to the new young kid pitcher nuke lelouch correct who, but when nuke and him meet he doesn't realize that this is my new catcher and he's here to show me the ropes and he goes out and they have that confrontation outside the bar where he tries to challenge him. And, and uh, Kevin Costner, you know, Crash Davis is all cool. And like, you know, if you throw that ball on my chest, you can't, you know, you won't be able to hit the side of a fucking barn, whatever. <laughs> and he, he says, you know, you got the million dollar arm and the 10 cent head. The the yes. Cent. yes. That was kind of Rockman. He had all the talent in the world, but he just didn't like, he kind of had that 10 cent head thing going on. And, and the thing that happened in the fight with, when, this is the reason why I mentioned this, because 
here he is coming off this great knockout win to, to, to win the heavyweight championship. Uh, he tries to go and fight Mike Tyson. doesn't work out, so he's forced into the contractual rematch against Lennox. But it was a fight that he could have won. And it comes to the light after the fact. He talks about it. It's true, because I talked to his whole team. It, it was not bullshit. It was legit. Leading up to the fight, the fight took place during Ramadan. Rockman is a, is a Muslim. And so Rockman was observing Ramadan, which meant, if you know what that means, he was not eating or drinking from sunup till sundown. And he's also trying to train for a heavyweight championship fight. So when he went in the ring, he was completely sapped. He, he just was all messed up from, you know, his his work habits combined mm-hmm. with not eating or, or properly hydrating as he's getting ready for the significant fight. And I, I always felt like I'm not saying he would have beaten Lennox necessarily in the rematch, but I truly believe and have for all these 21 years that because he was so dumb to do that, either schedule it at a different time. Or if you have to, put your religious beliefs aside for the sake of your career, if you have to. I understand if you didn't want to, but then don't fight during Ramadan. That he cost himself, the, uh, uh, he didn't put himself in the best position to be to remain the champion. Sure. It's one thing if you lose, for any fighter, it's one thing if you lose. But if you don't put yourself in the proper and best position to win, it's only your fault. And so he got knocked out by Lennox, and it may have happened anyway. But Hasim Rockman just did not put himself in the right position to defend the titles that night that's that's my story and i'm sticking to it there you go the one punch rematch win by lennox lewis 21 years ago that will wrap it up uh we've covered a lot uh, again nice job with regis progress uh here Thank on you. the program again he's in the ring with william zapeda or jose zapeda forgive me it's jose, late yeah. jose zapeda and progress next weekend so we'll have more on that fight in the preview mode we will have a Fight Freaks Unite recap, I promise, of whatever happens this weekend. We'll see if Munguia gets the quick knockout in the Mexican uh, main event on DAZN. For now, though, we're good. Dan Rayfield, have a great weekend. Love the inside as always. Uh, we appreciate it on all things here on the Big Fight Weekend Preview. I will see you on the U.S. betting show tomorrow. That Friday is correct. 1 Coming Friday, time. 1 Eastern time. We will chop it up there. We'll be back with a Fight Freaks Unite recap off the weekend. For now, we're good. For Dan Rayfield, I'm TJ Reeves. Enjoy the fights. Bye.